Welcome to Concord Matters, a show seeking for concord, agreement in Christian confession. Concord mattered to Jesus and Paul, and so it does to us also. Spend these next 60 minutes as we talk matters of Concord. Concord Matters, a program produced by the Christ-centered leader in confessional broadcasting. Worldwide KFUO, online at kfuo.org. And welcome to Concord Matters, the show that seeks to be of one mind. That is the mind of Christ, and I am today here with a conglomeration of Christ-confessing Concordians. We have a couple Peters in the studio here today. We have Peter with Peter Slayton, who is the social media manager of trolls for the Lutheran Church Missouri Senate. (laughs) And then that was awesome. I, I didn't call you Layman Slayton today, though. I'll, but that's I'll do that okay. We'll, yeah. we'll fit it in later. We'll work yeah. it in. All right. And then we also have uh, Pastor Peter, who is the pastor of Trinity in Milstadt, Illinois. Always good to get to be here. Yeah, it's great to have you guys here with us. And I'm Pastor Sean Smith, your host, and I am pastor of St. Paul's Wine Hill in Emmanuel West Point, also there in southern Illinois. And today we are pushing forward with Article 12, Part B of confession and satisfaction. Uh, This was started by the host last week, Pastor Charlie Henriksen. Uh, He did an excellent job setting it up and uh, really asked some good questions, kind of dealt with some things that uh, maybe are are misunderstandings when it comes to confession, especially for Lutherans. And uh, so I commend listening to that. Uh, We're going to pick up and push forward, though, uh, and continuing to talk about this. And and especially today, what we're going to see is, you know, how maybe some of those misunderstandings about confession came to be just because there were such gross abuses um, in the in the church in the Middle Ages uh, that that really happened because of this practice that is a good and godly practice, which is confessing. We, we have not thrown that out. Um, and so we're going to we're going to really wrestle with those things. Any thoughts from you guys before we we jump into I was going to say I found it interesting as we get further on in the reading how it seems that some of what we'll talk about today started with good and salutary practices that got twisted and turned into something very very different. So I'm kind of looking forward to digging into that and hearing a little more about that. Yeah, that really, that, that's kind of the bane of these things. I mean, it's, uh, on the one hand, I, I have this image in my mind of you just, you have such a good practice um, that was uh, there available for Christians and scriptural and so forth, but it was just so poorly manipulated that, uh, you know, for those who just kind of abandon it altogether, I understand it. Uh, it, it even draws me back when we were dealing with uh, the related article. I mean, this is part B of that article talking about repentance. We had a caller that uh, called in and he said, growing up in a Roman Catholic church, if you mm-hmm. remember, uh, you know, he, he said, you know, it was like going to the guillotine. And so you understand where people are at when they kind of abandon it altogether. And it's like, no, we need to understand the, where it comes from scripturally as a good practice for mm-hmm. Christians to use, uh, uh, but you definitely understand it, that's for sure. But, yep. All right, we're going to go ahead and jump in and pick up and uh, push forward here, and uh, we we want to be sure that, you know, uh, as we've been talking about here, the Roman Catholic Church and 
the Middle Ages, uh, and we still talk about them as our adversaries. That's the first word that's coming up here as I pick up reading. Uh, well, second word, technically. Uh, I, you know, We are talking about this as adversaries just simply because they have doctrine that, that denies Christ and denies uh, his uh, satisfaction, pure satisfaction, uh, and grace that he delivers to us. And so, uh, you know, if you're kind of offended by even the way that we set it up and kind of talking about these gross abuses and things like that, um, it, it's just speaking factually about these, these matters. And here, Luther and Melanchthon, especially Melanchthon and the Apology, are responding to those who are writing against them who have read the Augsburg Confession and who are now saying, no, no, that can't be right. And so in a technical sense, they are opponents or adversaries, but we we still do believe, teach, and confess. The Roman Catholic Church and a lot of other churches, all who believe in Christ, are our brothers and sisters in Christ. And we don't want to throw out the baby with the bathwater. And I think that's really important because we can, within the body of Christ, disagree. And we can interact one with another, but still we always end up with all who believe in Jesus Christ as Lord are Christians, and we're not throwing anybody out of the church. Yeah, and I think that's an excellent point to make. I mean, it, it reminds me even going back to seminary or, you know, even in the time that we've known each other, there have been times where you and I have even been adversaries, but I, I think of <laughs> That when, was softball, though. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Sports don't count. Right. Well, no, but I mean, actually, I'm, I'm thinking of one particular class. Um, I don't remember what it was now, um, but uh, there, was a, th- there was a class where we were specifically given to debate one another on theological topics yeah and i i remember at one point we were adversaries we were you know forced into uh taking different positions and having that debate i'm pretty sure i wish i remembered that yeah. because that way i could gloat that i won but i right. have no idea I, I don't even remember if a winner was declared I mean, oh. pastor smith is a cards fan and i'm a cubs fan i mean we're adversaries right there and that's a lifelong grudge match or that something is. and yet yeah. and yet we have concord and we're gathered together here and but <laughs> but my coming back to my point is is that you can indeed be adversaries especially in an academic sense which is uh to your initial point there the truest sense of what's going on here is that they in an academic sense this is a debate they are having theological discussion uh they have presented their case in the augsburg confession they responded in the confutation now they're responding back with the apology the defense of the augsburg Augsburg Confession, I mean, uh, but also really... we did talk about you know the adversary in the sense of you know on on account of what Christ says in His Word, you are opposed to Him. I mean, we even talking about this uh, when we talk about the Antichrist and so forth. You are opposed to Christ if your <laughs> office is that of the papacy. Maybe enough, more on that when we get to that. In the well, book it, it is true that that what they are confessing on these matters are against what we confess on these matters. And so it's appropriate to speak of them as adversaries. And I think the debate context is also very helpful because this is in a debate context that we really don't have in this day and age, you know, very much at all. Outside of, you know, here's your creationists and evolutionists having a debate or here's Bill Nye debating. Uh, there was like some big debate with what Bill Nye and Ken Ham. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, so you have that sort of thing and, you know, here's a winner and here's a loser. But outside of those popular, if I can use that word, uh, kinds of debates, we don't really 
even do theology in this this sense anymore. So there's the technical term where they're adversaries in that debate sense. But like you said, it's also true that what they are confessing in these particular issues that are at stake is against what we are confessing while affirming what Pastor Ill said. We're also at the same time not saying that therefore they're completely outside the faith and we're going to make that determination. Yeah, it's it's for a love of truth um, that we, we have these discussions. And it is truly a, a sense of love for neighbor as well when we have these discussions. I mean, uh, if I didn't love you, I would just, you know, kind of do what our modern age is, is that I, I just simply unfriend you, right, on Facebook. And, you know, we don't we don't have any interaction or anything. And, uh, and, and they're just saying, no, we actually do love one another enough and love the truth enough that we are going to have these at times even heated and uncomfortable discussions to seek truth to to dig into god's word and to to stake a claim for this is what god is teaching us and gives to us to believe and this is an interesting case for it too as we are talking about confession and absolution that is forgiveness because today we would uh, there are some who would some Lutherans who would say that the Lutheran position is that we always have confession and absolution in the church service, but here Melanchthon and and Luther and the other churches of the Refor- other representatives of the churches of the Reformation were really adamant that they wanted to discuss. Uh, no, we want to retain individual confession and absolution, where somebody can make confession and speak of their particular sins to their their pastor, their priest, and receive that very forgiveness. Absolutely. And, and, and that was well set up last week as well, too. And, and uh, so I certainly commend uh, listening to that last week. Anyway, without further ado, let's, let's go ahead and get back into uh, actually reading. Oh, a we couple were going to start reading, weren't we? I was yes. going to start reading, but I think that this is a very important thing to set up that we've just Indeed. done here uh, and kind of remind ourselves of. So I'm picking up with paragraph 13 or 110, depending on your um, version of the Book of Concord in Article 12b. Also, Article 6. Uh, again, it gets very confusing when you're dealing with this. Uh, but uh, this is of confession and satisfaction. So that's our overarching theme, uh, which is tied in with what we talked about uh, for a while uh, for p- several previous shows in Repentance. And so here, the Book of Concord and the Apology of the Augsburg Confession says... Our adversaries will condemn many well-respected teachers if they will agree that in confession, a listing of offenses is necessary according to divine law. So in other words, by God's word, holy word, you must do this. Right? We approve of confession and conclude that some examination is helpful so that people may be instructed better. Yet confession must be done in such a way that consciences are not entrapped. They never will be quieted if they think that they cannot receive the forgiveness of sins unless this precise listing is made. What the adversaries have expressed in the confutation is certainly most false. A full confession is necessary for salvation. This is impossible. What traps they lay for the conscience when they require a full confession? When will a conscience be sure that the confession is complete? I'm going to go ahead and pause there. I think there's plenty to dig in here. Uh, Pastor Ill, why don't you go ahead and, and kind of summarize what's going on there? What are the, they saying? The bulk of this issue is how many of your specific sins do you need to confess in order to make confession? 
And in our Lutheran service book, when we have the opportunity for this time of individual confession and forgiveness, it gives a general confession. I believe that I have lived as if God did not matter and as if I mattered most. My, uh, hold on. Um, I have not honored God's name as I should. My worship and prayers have failed. I have not loved others uh, as I have been called to love myself as well. And uh, for for then it goes on, and the little red words say, at this point, somebody may confess whatever sins they know and feel in their hearts, and if they do not, or when they are done, they simply keep going with, God be merciful to me and give me strength. I wish to do better. Um, which is, at least in my pastor world, code for, I'm ready to move on with the service now. Uh, which which <laughs> works out just fine, as long as there's a magic word to keep me moving. Uh, but I have also learned that sometimes, uh, and I know when I was a new penitent too, it's kind of hard to know what to say. Like you all of a sudden hit that spot of, of you can you can confess those things that you feel in your heart. Where, where do you start and how do you do that? And so pastors will often just gently ask questions. Uh, sometimes they will be questions that come straight from the Ten Commandments. Uh, God's word commands that you should rest in, uh, that you should honor the Sabbath day, and the true Sabbath is Jesus. How is your rest in Jesus' word? And 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 many people can just go for a while on their devotional life and their church attendance and their attentiveness at church and so on. Uh, but this is a contrast to what they had in the medieval period, because then they had uh, confessional manuals where the pastor or the priest would go to confession with a, a manual for the questions he was to ask, and he would give these he would give these kind of technical questions about particular sins that someone may have committed, and the whole time he would he would be doing a little bit of arithmetic there too, uh, to give them a uh, I don't want to say a punishment because it's not that, but he would give them an act of devotion so that they would d do something for an amended and changed life. Uh, and so he would go in with this confession guide uh, that had kind of a, a balance idea to it. Yeah, to to tie that in with what, what our listeners and, and those who aren't familiar with this sort of, and it certainly gets more technical and so forth, but we, we would probably all well know just from movies and so forth that kind of talk about you go in for confession in the Roman Catholic system and, you know, uh, you know, bless me, Father, for I have sinned. It's been two weeks since my last confession, whatever, you know, and then you list the, the sins and then the Father hears it and he says, okay, go say five Hail Marys and two Our Fathers, you know, and, uh, wow, and so, yeah. you were really good since your last confession. <laughs> She only had to do that many. Right. Yeah. Well, you know, I'm Apparently just... Yeah, yes, that, 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 the numbers that, come that, that is the popularized version of, of right. what this looks like, yeah. I, I was thinking, uh, particularly with this phrase, confession must be done in such a way that consciences are not entrapped. And then, and then it describes this. Martin Luther was the first one that came to mind as the, as the example of this individual who <clears throat> sincerely attempted to list all, all of his sins. He, he actually really made an effort at this to the point where 
Uh, I'm, fr- I'm I'm blanking on the name of his father. Oh, I confessor. love this story. Uh, Johann <laughs> von yes, Staupitz. Uh, Pastor von Staupitz was uh, the overseer of all of the Augustinians in Germany, and he was he was Luther's father confessor. And one day, Luther had come to him multiple times a day to to confess his sins and receive forgiveness. And as Luther records it, he said something along the lines of. If you're going to come to confession this often, at least come and confess something interesting. Uh, (laughs) Come back with a real sin. (laughs) Yeah, to that effect. And for Christians who are trapped in their guilt, they will often uh, begin to say, well, if I don't confess at all, then maybe I'm not forgiven for, for each of my sins and for all of my sinfulness. If I leave something out, maybe I can't be certain of God's salvation for that. And it, it becomes coercive, where if you don't confess all of your sins out loud to your pastor, then you can't be forgiven. And it can, it can begin to feel like torture or like it's some kind of magic. If I, if I list everything, I'm forgiven for everything that I've listed and then it all goes away. And that is hunky dory. Whereas we say, no, we have the free gift of forgiveness for Christ's sake. And when you confess all of your sins uh, in the Lord's prayer, the sins that you know, the sins that you don't know, the sins that you can't even articulate. And when you confess those particular sins that you know and feel in your heart before your pastor, then you are sure that you have been forgiven. You have been absolved of all your sins, not just the ones you mentioned out loud. It's not the act of verbalizing the sins that makes them forgiven. It is the gift of Christ who sent your pastor to you to speak that absolution for your forgiveness. To put a point on what we're talking about here, too, this is where uh, the the title of this section is of confession and satisfaction. So this is the satisfaction. This is the part that we have the problem with. We're starting to get into it, yeah. You you have to do something in order to uh, receive this forgiveness, and you're dead on target. It's uh, obviously, Scripture teaches that this is completely a free gift of God. It is grace, right? And uh, to make it a work is really quite a terrible thing. Well, it's as we're moving into the, the satisfaction part of this, I mean, this is once again, we're looking at the, the, the system that, that the Roman Catholics had in place. Of course, it makes sense that you would have to list every single one of your sins, because as we start looking in the, as the section continues, is we're going to talk about, well, then you have to make satisfaction for them. Well, how can you make satisfaction for your sins if you haven't listed every single sin that you've done? So it, internally, according to their system, yeah, it completely makes sense that that it would work this way because you're you're going to have to make satisfaction for that. So, better be able to list all of them. And that idea of satisfaction, like like we had been talking about before, really starts in a with a pious motivation. Uh, the, this idea that just saying the words without the inner change of heart that is ultimately worked by the Holy Spirit just isn't enough. But when you all of a sudden start tying very definite actions to your confession in order for it to take effect so that you're given kind of a a preliminary absolution, once you have completed these things, once you have done the satisfaction, then God is satisfied and then you have forgiveness and it puts off the it puts off your forgiveness. Well, that's no good. It starts with a pious place of saying just going through the motions isn't 
isn't a healthy thing to do. But then after that, it gets into the weeds. And so we continue to say that our repentance is led by the Holy Spirit. And it is by the Holy Spirit that we are able to confess and repent of our sins. It's not something that we can do by ourselves. And from there, we go on with the forgiveness of sins by our merciful and gracious Heavenly Father. I I think you make a good point here, too, in in saying that it is with a pious and and well-intentioned kind of motivation that that there would be some desire. I mean, we we even still see this today, like with your 12-step programs and so forth, that you're encouraged to go make amends with those whom you have wronged, right? And and I've even done this when uh, there has been uh, even private confession absolution and so forth, even when they didn't know that that's what they were doing with <laughs> me, right? Which is often the case in Lutheran churches, where I've encouraged them, you know, go be reconciled with your brother and sister Christian. Scripture's clearly encourages us to do these things. And sometimes, you know, that creates kind of a, a troubled conscience on the other end. You know, well, if I don't do that, am I not forgiven? Well, no, God's forgiveness is still for you, right? Um, but uh, this is simply godly encouragement. Um, I think where we get off track and certainly where we find the, the church in the, the Middle Ages and so forth, uh, and even still today, um, is that it it is definitely necessary it becomes a legalistic demand that you have to go do the satisfaction and generally it's not the the satisfactions and and uh i i have only seen a couple of the kind of uh you know little guides for the the priest to to give you know the the uh it's worth satisfactions. the google yeah it's worth the it, google. it really is i've only seen a couple <laughs> of them so i don't know necessarily what all of them include but it's generally pretty interesting that it's not the godly sort of things that scripture would encourage like go be reconciled with your brother and sister christian or things of that nature it's generally you know do these things for the church give us money you know get mm. you know, go give alms you know things of that nature that uh, you know, it kind of becomes kind of a, a rather terrible sort of idea thing. You know, <laughs> I, well, I'm, I'm for, stumbling over my words, but it really becomes evil, is what I want to say. It really is quite evil when the church starts getting mixed up with those sorts of things. And part of pastoral care and spiritual counsel says that uh, when somebody comes to their pastor and confesses, I don't know, uh, maybe a sin against the the third commandment about about uh, resting in God's word and church attendance and so on. Perhaps then uh, pastoral counsel can be given. What are some ways that you can pray attentively? What are some ways that you can set aside time in your day for prayer? What are some ways that you can read and hear scripture? And, And to have that as a conversation, not as a, you don't have any forgiveness until this, you know, thus and such happens, but simply to say, God's word and his invitation to pray are gifts to you. So let's use those gifts. And I think that's something that we should pay attention to. Yeah, I think you're picking up on a line that I wanted to emphasize there, which is we approve of confession and conclude that some examination is helpful. I mean, I certainly have, it's called a confessional mirror. It basically walks you through the Ten Commandments. And this, again, comes from the small catechism and and Luther's own... um, exhortation to use that as well of, you know, there, there are certainly things that can be done to help us understand our sinful condition and, you know, things that we 
maybe are not aware of what's weighing heavy on our minds and burdening our consciences, uh, but, you know, kind of leads us to that. And then again, too, even, you know, again, as a pastor uh, in pastoral care, I may uh, question and and have some questions and lead you in godly encouragement um, for how to live in a godly way following your confession but we don't make it the legalistic demand. And so we, we, we certainly approve of confession. We even approve of examination and so forth. And uh, we just don't make it a legalistic demand. Well, I think it's helpful to, I wanted to pick up on the, the pious motivations because uh, I'm going to, I'm going to jump ahead, but we're not actually skipping this far ahead, but I think it's worth noting at this point in line 24, couple pages over it says but at various places the explanation of the canons confirms that these observances were set up for the sake of church discipline which i found to be fascinating as we're talking about okay why what's the motivation for these satisfactions that originally there was a need for church discipline well whenever these practices came into the church something was needed where as you know i, I don't know if one of you used the word reparations but it's kind of this idea that your sin has hurt other people and and something should be done about that to help repair those relationships with other sinners the reconciliation i think was used and so this this good practice of hey go be reconciled against the person you know the person you've sinned against um that that's how it started and how a church practice can gradually shift over time Whereas we tend to think of, oh, well, yeah, this is the way the Roman Catholic Church always was, and this was an abuse from the beginning. You know, we kind of think that history is always the way it is right now, but it's worth remembering even our best church practices, if we're not careful to keep a watch, can be twisted and turned into something very, very different and yeah, because unbiblical all, and evil. <laughs> all gifts of God can be turned into idols too, right? Indeed. And so this is what the sinful nature does with good gifts. And uh, and so we have to be very careful to be faithful to Scripture. And I think you make an excellent point there. And uh, and that's certainly what we're saying and approving here. And, and I think you're also on target too with, we, we definitely still see this today, even outside of the Roman Catholic Church. Um, you know, even in your general American evangelical churches, it's not quite... Uh, as overt as maybe it was in the Middle Ages with the Roman Catholic Church, but you certainly, I have seen and witnessed and so forth where uh, Christians, it, it almost becomes if you don't go serve on the short-term mission team or if you don't go serve as a parking lot, you know, uh, minister or whatever have you, you know, that you're not truly living the Christian life. And, and or, so I think it burdens the I'm, conscience. I'm glad there are parking lot ministers. Otherwise, I right. wouldn't have a way to serve at all. Yeah, it should, it should be a fruit of the gospel, though, right? <laughs> or, or even uh, some of the idea of the Christian accountability group or the Christian small group to have that place to touch base and 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 talk about the struggles of a Christian life, but in a in a holistic way that if you hold anything back, then you you aren't certain of your place in the church and your your place before God and receiving His forgiveness, and that's not the intent to which people come to this. I understand that, but sometimes that's what we pick up on, even when it's not as intended. Yeah, that is indeed good to talk about the struggle of the Christian life, but one of the struggles of the practical life is that we have to take a break, and so we're going to go ahead and take that right now. How do we love our neighbor on the internet? 
Why are the creeds so important? What does it mean to practice Christian hospitality? Questions like these are answered in every edition of The Lutheran Witness, the monthly magazine of the LCMS. The Lutheran Witness can help you interpret the world from a Lutheran Christian perspective by providing reliable, biblical reflections on the issues that you care about the most. Get your free issue at cph.org witness. That's cph.org witness. Proverbs 27, 17 tells us, Iron sharpens iron, and one man sharpens another. That's why weekday mornings at 8 a.m., two Missouri Synod pastors test their metal against the Holy Scriptures, certain that not only will they come out better for it, but so will you. The sword of the Spirit is sharp to the touch, but you need practice wielding it. Check out Sharper Iron, 8 a.m., every weekday on Worldwide KFUO. When you went car shopping, you meant business. You ace vehicle history searches and test drives. You out salesmen to the salesman. Now you've got your wheels. If you manage that, you can get your retirement plan on track. Visiting aceyourretirement.org can help. With 401k tips and smart saving strategies, you'll have the info you need to get more for your future. Go to aceyourretirement.org because when it comes to speeding past financial challenges, you're an ace. Brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. KFUO is faithful to the Word of God. Listen daily to KFUO as we focus on salvation through Christ Jesus. Generations have heard KFUO proclaim the good news through our talk programs, music programs, and worship services. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. KFUO, faithful, scriptural, Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. We are the messenger of good news, KFUO. The Bible of the Bear? Really? Published in 1569 by Cassiodora de Reina, this Spanish version of the Bible had an illustration on the title page of the Bible showing a bear trying to reach some honey. Because of typos and printing errors, it was widely criticized and quickly revised in 1602 by Cipriano de Valera and has been revised many times, as recently as 2011. The Reina Valera Bible is as central to the perception of the Bible by Protestants in Spanish as the Geneva Bible and the King James Bible version in English. Cassiodora de Reina was a Lutheran theologian, and his translation was the first complete Bible to be printed in Spanish, and interestingly, first published in Basel, Switzerland. The Reina Valera Bible today has become the common Bible of millions of Spanish-speaking Protestants around the world, making the Bible accessible to everyone. Engage with this book of books. Brought to you by Museum of the Bible. And welcome back to Concord Matters with layman Peter Slayton, Woo! Pastor Peter Hill, and myself, Pastor Sean Smith, as your host. And we continue to confess Christ as we talk about confession. And we're certainly going to do a lot more of that, talking about how Christ is related with the confession. But even in just the way that I set it up there, just a, bit, a brief note, we've talked about this many times on this show, but to confess simply means to same-say, to, to agree, to, to repeat back what has said. And so when we confess our sins, we're simply agreeing with God, repeating back what he has said, uh, especially most clear in, in uh, the epistle First John, uh, where it says, if anyone says he's without sin, he is a liar, and even worse, makes God out to be a liar. And so when we confess our sins, we're doing that. But even on this show, as we are 
dealing with the Lutheran confessions, we are agreeing with Scripture and what it says is the very truth of our Christian faith. And so this is the relation of what we're talking about in confession, both in the Lutheran confessions and the article of confession, the doctrine of confession. And we're going to, I'm going to read here a little bit more and uh, push forward here. So now I'm picking up with paragraph 15 in article 12b of confession and satisfaction, the apology of the Augsburg confession. Church writers mention confession, however, they do not speak about this listing of secret offenses, but about the right of public repentance. The fallen or notorious sinners were not received into fellowship without fixed satisfactions. They confessed to the presbyters so that satisfactions might be prescribed to them according to the degree of their guilt. This type of confession has nothing similar to the listing about which we are arguing. The kind of confession was made not because the forgiveness of sins before God could not happen without it, but because satisfactions could not be prescribed unless the kinds of offense were first known. Different offenses had different rules. So to just kind of summarize this, I think we talked about this pretty well in the first half hour of the show, um, is that they kind of had this guide, you know, that they talk about the presbyters, basically the, the priest, the, the one that who, who you go and give your confession to, um, you know, had this guide of these are the things, these are the satisfactions that you must make for these specific sins that you have listed. And uh, it goes on at quite length with that. And so uh, uh, I feel like we've kind of covered this. So I'm going to push forward a little bit further and talk about, no, we're not because layman. I just have one thought that I want to, that I want to bring out here, not regarding the content, but noticing this, this happens throughout the confessions quite a bit where um, in this case, Melanchthon is very careful to lay out Here's the thing that we're talking about, and this thing over here, we're not talking about this thing. And it's very easy as you're reading through the confessions in their entirety to kind of skip over sentences like that and just completely miss them. So I just wanted to point out, you know, he's specifically making he's making sure that he's very specific about this is the kind of confession we're talking about. This is the kind of satisfaction we're talking about. And it's not this other kind over here or this other kind over here. So let's just... Make sure that, you know, I'm not, that everybody understands here's what we're talking about. Because it can be very easy to read this and think, you know, think it's the other kind of confession that he's talking about. And he's like, no, 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 I'm making it clear. Here's what we're actually talking about. Let's make sure we're all on the same page. In summary, Melanchthon is saying there was a time when this kind of satisfaction was used for church discipline to make sure that open and notorious sinners wouldn't enter into the church uh, and live a hypocritical life. And that was good care and good practice for the church. And but for what, the church to know, hey, they've repented and here, mm-hmm. here's, here's the evidence of that. We're not just letting them back in full, you know, living in their sin. But that's not the issue here. That's not what Melanchthon is talking about here. He says, yeah, there's this good thing over here, and that's great. You guys, the, the issue that we have with you, the place where we have our disagreement, isn't about that. Let's talk about what we disagree about instead of this other thing that is helpful to the church and and they're not and they're setting this up because the next section that i was about to read and i will jump back into here and again is uh kind of subtitled the church fathers on satisfaction and so they're saying yes we we agree that the church fathers have have talked about this but you're misunderstanding what they meant by it and uh this even draws to mind just as as you were talking there pastoral we were at our uh, southern illinois district pastors conference a couple weeks ago and so our our team wasn't on uh 
uh, then. And uh, I had actually even brought up the question um, at this. Uh, the, the conference was on dealing with divorce in the church. How do we handle that pastorally and so forth? And, and I asked the question. I said, you know, at one time uh, when there was, you know, such a public sin and so forth um, that we would have them come confess before the congregation these things and uh it became a very shaming thing and i recognize all of the abuses that that can have um and it certainly applied to other things too as well if you conceived a child out of wedlock and things like that um these sorts of things would be confessed publicly now again i think it was a thing that started for a very good and godly reason um because these things are public everybody can see it and people are somewhat scandalized when they see christians living in a way that is contrary to contrary to God's word and they're not sure what's going on you know with dealing with these things in a godly way confessing them and things like that um you know to to put it literally behind closed doors in the pastor's confessional or things like that and so it was a way of you know dealing with these things that are public anyway um but i remember um, the the presenter responded to my question. He said, but we just don't live in that age anymore. And so I have no idea what it looks like to deal with these very public matters um, in a public way anymore. And so what we have to kind of encourage is that people just understand that Christians are living as Christians still and that, you know, people are confessing these things and being forgiven and so forth and that they should put the best construction on things. And that's definitely what I took away from the response. But again, I, I use that as an idea to say that there are a lot of practices there um, that ha- are very good, very godly, that have become abused, misunderstood, um, and and even maybe at times misapplied. And so um, rather than just abandon them entirely, we need to have a right understanding of them. And so that's really what they're pushing for here is there, there certainly is a part of church discipline, these satisfactions uh, that uh, are talked about by the church fathers and even scripture would direct, you know, that you have sort of good works that, that follow these things. But because of the abuses, you know, let, let's be clear on what they were talking about so that we have a right understanding of it. And so I'm going to push forward and read here. The Church Fathers on Satisfaction. This is picking up in paragraph 16 if you're following along. The word satisfaction has been left from this rite of public repentance. The Holy Fathers were unwilling to welcome back the fallen or the notorious sinners unless, as far as it was possible, their repentance had been first examined and shown publicly. So that's even what I was talking about with the question that I mm-hmm. had in the, in the presentation. I mean, this this is one of the satisfactions, right? There seem to have been many causes for this. To discipline those who had fallen served as an example to... Sorry, I lost my place. Served as an example as the gloss upon the decrees reminds us. Also, it was improper to admit notorious people immediately to communion. These customs have long since grown obsolete. I want to back up there. You know, I've heard it said that, you know, closed communion and the practice of it is nowhere to be found in the confessions. I think it's an assumed taken. I mean, that's certainly what they're saying. <laughs> you know, like, you know, if you're not coming with a repentant heart to the Lord's Supper, uh, we, we need to have things in place to guard against that because... 
well, it can be taken to their harm, and, and it's not good churchly practice. It's not God-pleasing, right? Mm. Uh, so we could certainly talk all about that, but I'm going to keep reading here. These customs have long since grown obsolete. It is not necessary to restore them because they are not necessary for the forgiveness of sins before God. And that's kind of how the presenter responded to me. We don't live in the age anymore where you know folks who have had a divorce or have conceived a child out of wedlock um, you know, have to go before the congregation to to give a public confession, you know. Um, I think it serves them. It could serve them. And if they desire to do that, you could do it in a way that would be pleasing uh, and God-pleasing and so forth to show that there is there is public forgiveness for this thing that everybody's murmuring about anyway. But we just don't live in that age anymore, and it's fallen obsolete, and maybe that's okay, uh, you know, and uh, we, we should certainly encourage in other ways. I... I think that it would be neat if somebody came in and said, you know, wow, I've done this, this publicly scandalous thing that has drawn uh, dishonor to the Church of Christ and to my brothers and sisters in Christ. And out of my own repentant desire, I would like to get up and give, you know, a a public apology to the congregation for this. Uh, I think that would be kind of neat. Um, however, what I don't think is a good idea is for uh, the pastor or the board of elders or anybody else to say, in order for you to be here and part of this congregation still, you have to do this or that. Uh, if somebody would be so moved, I think it would be an interesting thing to see. I don't think you'll, you'll see it all that often. Yeah, it, and, and just picking up on that, and the reason I even asked that question in talking about how we handle in a pastoral way divorce, for example, you know, I've had leaders in the congregation before where I am aware that there's murmuring about them, you know, well, how can they be a spiritual leader in the congregation? They've been divorced and things like that. Well, I also happen to know as pastor that they have confessed, they have been forgiven. Christ has died for this too. And they are desiring to live in a godly way going forward, uh, living, you know, a life that is in keeping with that repentance and so forth. Um, and the congregation's not aware of that. And so I've tried to encourage at times, you know, it, it might serve you and your benefit and also serve the congregation and the benefit, uh, to give this, um, this this public confession. But I also don't want to break the confessional seal, um, which is tell it for them. And so when, when I hear the murmurings, I just simply encourage them to live as Christians and say, hey, you know, we put the best construction on it. Assume that they have sought confession, but I can never say, look, they have, you know, because that would break the confessional seal. I also don't want to go to that spiritual leader in the congregation and become a legalist and say, look, you really need to do this because it's tearing apart the congregation or things like that. It's, it's a tough thing on both ends. And so the you know, the public thing, it may be a great and beneficial practice. Um, but the fact that it's fallen obsolete and people feel just weird by it, well, maybe that's okay. And we just need to encourage folks to live as Christians as well. I was going to say, there's, there's got to be a, a middle ground somewhere between obsolete and forcing somebody into it. Because it, it, it can't be But obsolete. we live in an age of extremes. Oh, the pendulum I know, I goes know. from one extreme to the other. There's I, nothing I sh- in the middle As the ever. social media manager, yeah. I should know this to right, be true right. more than any of the rest of you. Because <laughs> to, to say it's obsolete, I, I hear that. And, and my ear hears that and says, oh, well, then I guess it doesn't matter. Um, which also implies that the sin itself doesn't matter, that this is no longer a big deal, that this is no longer important. And I know you don't mean to say that. Um, and I know that's not what we're actually trying to say. And yet, that's what my ear hears with that. But at the same time, 
there there is something to be said for that that willing repentance that willing public confession um for towards reconciliation with the congregation like we talked about before of i i have hurt this congregation i want to be reconciled with with you all i don't want this to be an issue uh, i also think in terms of context this is it's really hard for us to envision the 1500s when literally everybody knew everybody else and everybody knew everybody's business because there there was no social media. There was I, I live in rural I'll, southern Illinois. This I was is actually going to say this is actually the the place where you're going to see this is your rural small town congregation where everybody knows everybody's business and what everybody's doing. And so in that sense, it's it's not obsolete because this this is known. People know what happened, and it, they are bothered by it. They are, they worry about it. They are concerned. They recognize this is a sin. How is this being dealt with? And and if we go too far on the it doesn't matter side, well, they're like, okay, so I guess it's not really sin. That's not really a big deal. This isn't an issue. And so, yeah, there's th- this is the reality of living in a sinful world where whichever way we go, we're gonna have we're gonna have to struggle one way or another. And then for you gentlemen who actually have to do the pastoral care of this, it's even more difficult. As you are shepherding souls, so I'm kind of sitting on the outside watching. It's like, ooh, yeah, yeah that's hard. <laughs> pastorally, and that's where I come back to to what I was saying earlier too. This is where pastorally, I've just learned the importance, and it's a struggle for me because I have in my mind what would be really great. Right? Here's the ideal. <laughs> right, Let's make it happen. Um, but but at the same time, pastorally, what really needs to happen is that you just simply teach and encourage. And so, you know, as, as I say, I may have the spiritual leader where I teach and I encourage, you know, what does public confession look like and, and how it might be beneficial for you, for the congregation to let to let everybody be healed by the grace of God in this situation. Mm -hmm. And then to the other end where maybe they're still wrestling with that, maybe they're working with that, and maybe they just don't feel comfortable with it because they've seen it done so poorly in a legalistic way. It feels like going to the guillotine, things like that, right? Um, And so I don't want to be legalistic because then I'm not living in a way that's a fruit of the gospel. But on the other end, you know, where I hear the murmurings and, and, uh, you know, slander against this person and things of that nature, um, you know, then I just simply say without breaking the confessional seal, right. Um, I, I simply teach and encourage there too. Hey, put the best construction on this. Assume that your brother Christian does desire to live as a Christian and is wrestling with their own brokenness, uh, in a godly way, you know, and, and maybe ask, can you be a help and support to them? Mm-hmm. And and there, I don't think I betray any trust. Um, I'm just simply doing what I do with all of us, myself, first and foremost, right? Which is live in a Christian way that is God-pleasing according to Scripture, right? And so you teach and you encourage. And one might even ask if when you go to confession and absolution, if receiving advice uh, and spiritual spiritual advice and counsel from your pastor is a necessary part of that. Uh, and I don't think it's it's necessary. One of the lines that I use with a lot of my parishioners is, it's not my job to give you advice. It's my, it's my God-given responsibility to provide that forgiveness that Christ has promised. Um, I may or may not have any advice. And frankly, if I have any advice, it's probably not worth anything. Uh, what I can offer you is God's word. When your words and your actions that you reveal to me speak uh, 
and and where God's word says that those things are wrong and sinful, I will call that to mind. Um, that's not advice giving, though. That's not counsel or suggestions. Uh, now, if you say, I'm looking for a devotional that will help me uh, to pray better, great, we can talk about that. Uh, but that's more of pastoral care and less of advice. And I think there's a, an important distinction between advice and spiritual counsel and spiritual care. Yeah, I, I think it's kind of a messy thing, though, because generally, I mean, we, we, we don't deny the third function of the law, right, that it serves as a guide. This is a godly way to live. And so, you know, speaking from God's word, you know, we certainly don't want to just talk about advice in the sense of, you know, here's my armchair, you know, um, counselor kind of advice and so forth. We're not talking about that at all. We, we are talking about pastoral care, pastoral counsel from the word of God. And so while I always want to put the emphasis on exactly what you said, which is, you know, I'm here to administer God's grace and forgiveness to you. That's my chief purpose. I always also want to follow up and and I well I actually always do I always say and if you desire pastoral counsel from God's word in dealing with this and and, and going forward in a god pleasing and godly way you know I'm certainly available to you in that as well and again it begins always you know teach and encourage and for me myself as well and and I believe pastor you do this as well that begins from an early age, I, I do it with the kids in the church. I begin talking about these things with them. And then certainly when it comes to confirmation, I just had confirmation Sunday this past Sunday. Uh, and leading up to that, I didn't do it a legalistic thing, but I did tie it in with their preparation uh, to, uh, to, to be confirmed in the church, is I actually walk them through this. What does private confession absolution look like? What does it look like to come to your pastor for godly counsel? Because they need to know that that's available to them. And if they've seen it in a non-confrontational kind of way, a t- teaching way, an encouraging way, then they're more likely to make use of it, you know, uh, in, in a time when they really need it. And what I do in my practice is that I will, uh, when somebody comes in and they start visiting, uh, we'll start talking about how their Christian life is going. And if there is any uh, counsel from the Word of God, not Peter Ill's ideas, but but. Th- the substance of the word of God that is to come to them, we talk about it, and then we go into the rite or the service of confession and forgiveness so that we get to end with the gospel, because that is, once again, the entire goal and focus of confession and absolution is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so we don't want to do it in any way where uh, we have the gospel and then give you a list of things that you have to do. But if there is some uh, conversation about the word of God that is helpful to the Christian, I do that first and then we hear the gospel. That's uh, my practice. Not every pastor does it that way and that's okay. <laughs> I, I was going to say, I, well, and I would say sometimes different situations dictate different things. Sometimes you've wrestled with something just getting to the point where they're completely beat down that generally I'll say, and how about we meet another time to maybe go first? I mean, different situations dictate different uh, applications. Yeah. I was, I was going to say the word advice isn't really a good word for what you guys do anyways, because God, God does have a will in these situations. And you, Pastor Sean, you mentioned the, the third function of the law. That's kind of where this fits in is, well, what is God's will? I've, I've, I've confessed my sin. I have heard the forgiveness that Christ gives. I, I believe this to be true. 
okay, well, now what do I do? I, w- I want to do something. I want to live in this gospel. I, I, does God have a will for me in this situation of, of what I should be doing? And so that's the context in which there there may be additional things to be said. And of course, here, the adversaries seem to turn that into a, though those things of God's will, maybe they're God's will, maybe they're not, uh, in how they take, how the adversaries take them, but they're going to turn that into, this is where you actually get rid of that that punishment. So you've got your confession, and and you have you have heard the forgiveness, but God's still going to punish you uh, for the sin. So we've got to work on the satisfaction part of it. Um, that's that that's where this has gotten twisted. It's gotten twisted into that. So there's a sense. I wonder if that's part of our hesitancy in even dealing with this and struggling through how do you guys as pastors, how do I as a layperson struggle with this? Because it's gotten so ingrained in the system of, well, okay, God has a will for how I should live. Am I now earning his pleasure? Am I am I pleasing him in this? Am I, well, at least I'm not, I'm earning my way out of purgatory. You know, all that baggage gets thrown on top of it. Um, and it's almost like, I'm wondering if some of our discomfort is, oh, we want to make sure we avoid that by any means, but we fall off the other side of the horse sometimes <laughs> in trying yeah, to avoid it. Definitely. Almost. You definitely have both ends of the spectrum yeah. again there, right? And and you still see this today because we, we still desire to want to be in control, right? And so if you tell me something that I need to do, right, it, whatever it may be, you know, go give alms to the poor, say for our fathers and, um, you know, go serve in India for a year or something. Then good. Great. Now you've actually yeah. sinned. If yeah. you got to serve in India right. for a year, this, we're talking about real sin here. <laughs> no, don't derail me. <laughs> Sorry. So, but, but then it's actually something I can control, right? I can go do that. I can do this. And so then I know, Oh, well, surely God is pleased with me. Right. Yeah. And so it, it puts my conscience at ease, but it's a false ease. It's it's a false comfort because it doesn't actually give me any comfort. It doesn't uh it doesn't give me Christ, which is what I really need to know that I have forgiveness. And we certainly still see this again today that uh you know we 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 sort of want to have this idea that God is okay with me because I do this. And and they also do it the other end of the spectrum as well on that idea as well too is well of course that happened to them because Look at them. Look at how they live. <laughs> yeah. They definitely deserve that. And, and we we fall into this very sinful line of thinking and sinful trap to think that I either don't deserve or I, some people do deserve or, you know, these sorts of things. And then, you know, what can I do so that I can uh, be at ease when really it's not about what you can do. It is what Christ has done for you. Yep. I see Pastor Ill nodding his head. <laughs> this is a great contribution all, on radio. We're all nodding we're, on the we're, radio. We're in you concord with so, one another. You said something so beautiful. I don't have anything else left yes. to say on that. <laughs> it is good that we are in concord with it, one another. It is indeed. And for for those of you who might be listening and thinking, I've never heard Lutheran pastors talk this way about confession and forgiveness. Uh, this is a helpful thing. Uh, nobody's coercing you. I won't come twist your arm. Neither will Pastor Smith. Uh, we aren't we aren't going to do anything like that. But this is a wonderful gift. Even as Jesus Easter night appeared to his disciples and said that anyone who sins, they forgive their sins are forgiven. This is a gift and a comfort and a promise. If you are racked by sin and if you feel guilty and ashamed of your sinfulness, 
call your pastor. He stands eager and ready and willing to speak that forgiveness of sins to you because that is what God has sent him to do. He does it in preaching and in teaching. He does it when he administers baptism in the Lord's Supper, but he also does it um, in living rooms and in studies and in church chancels where he gets to announce God's forgiveness to you. Certainly. As we said earlier in this section, we approve of confession. This is good godly scripture certainly speaks of it we encourage it and so if you've been listening to this and you are unfamiliar with this practice you need more information there are lots of lutheran churches out there you can go on lcms.org and find yourself a church find yourself a pastor and if you have a pastor make use of this good godly gift as martin luther once encouraged when i urge you to go to confession i'm certainly just urging you to be a christian that's what we've been talking about today Thank you for stopping by and listening to Concord Matters on KFUO Worldwide Radio. Until next time, keep confessing, church.